I have an illustration. I typically try to grab your attention because you got so much going on in life that you ain't listening to nothing I'm saying. So I typically try to grab your attention with an illustration. I'm going to do that in a second. What I felt the Lord saying to me, though, was you need to pray for families. So I have family that attend churches with primarily seniors, and I have five kids. And whenever we would go to that church, the seniors would be like, there are kids. Oh, this is so great. They'd be so happy wanting us to come back. Sorry, I'm pastoring a church that I love and love me. I ain't leaving. But they would want us to come back with our kids. And there's this, this joy that children bring. But when you in the midst of it, when you in the seat and they trying to eat and they trying to kick you and they trying to hit their friend, it don't feel like joy. <laughs> to you. When you single and you trying to focus on a sermon and that kid behind you keep, keep kicking the chair. That's the spirit working. So I want to pray first because, y'all, even though it takes our focus, our extra energy to be present, it is so valuable. It is valuable to you to persevere and focus, and it is valuable for the children to be welcomed in an environment of people who love them and celebrate them worshiping and crying all in the same breath. Lord, please be with our church. Be with the kids, Lord. Let them feel that this is a place of worship for them, too, as early as they can remember. That they wouldn't be shushed. That they would be guided to understand the beauty of structure and reverence for worship, but they also would have space to be kids. Would you, Lord, guide these families, these friends, these cousins, these neighbors, these church members, these parents, Lord, to focus on you in the midst of wanting to love the kids well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This gentleman named Craig Brian Larson uh, wrote of this thing that took place with NASA. I'm a little bit of a geek. I, I like stats, uh, even though the worst class I ever had in my life was statistics. Uh, I like understanding when people persevere, when things happen beyond what we expect. So Brian Larson wrote this little, little illustration. He said, in 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe called the Pioneer 10. According to Time Magazine, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and beam data to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic, magnetic field, its radiation belts, and its atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan, for at the time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars and they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it could even reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planet in November of 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At some two billion miles, it hurled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly three billion miles, and Pluto almost four billion miles. 
By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than 6 billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps what is most remarkable is that those signals emanate from an 8-watt transmitter an eight-watt transmitter, which radiates as much power as a bedroom nightlight. And it takes more than nine hours for it to reach back to Earth. That little satellite that did not seem qualified to do what it did, the engineers of Pioneer 10 said it was useful for three years. But the interesting thing about it was that it exceeded its three-year lifespan and kept going and going and going. This simple longevity was made possible because of its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio. That radio accomplished more than anyone thought it could, anything that they imagined possible for it. So it is when we offer ourselves to the Lord. God can work even through some of our eight-watt abilities. Some of us may have been tempted to think we need to have uh, a giant magnetic power, but God may use small nightlight power. God does not have to work in the immense. He is willing to work in those that are willing to be consistent and just not. Family, as we have been in our series in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer is trying to help those that understand who Jesus is. This God is worth everything. He's worth you fixing your eyes straight upon Christ. But along the way of having them understand who God is, he also gives some warnings. And today's warning is simply this. He said it once. He's going to say it again. His warning is simply this, don't quit. Don't quit. It's interesting that in a book of only 13 chapters, this writer says, don't quit multiple times. And if you like me, you know why he said don't quit. Because you get tempted to, come on now. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to continue, continue, continue. He says, don't quit. I don't want you to go back to the old ways. I'm going to lay out for you two differences, and I pray you realize the beauty of these two differences. One will lead you to quit and go back to the old, and one will lead you to embrace the new. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 18. Verse 18. Adults, don't say nothing. Kids, if you are with me, say amen. Kids, if you are with me, say amen. That's good. That's good. Because while everybody was turning, it was total silence in the room. I didn't hear no, no adults say, good job. You're doing great, little baby. You, do. you better encourage the kids when they're quiet for a minute. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that 
that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Trembling with fear. Have you, have you ever been afraid of something? Afraid of something. I'm, I, I uh, a couple of times, have been doing stuff where I was, like, distracted. I remember one time being a kid, and I almost lost it all because I'm, I'm looking at a new magazine Mama got me. I'm pushing the shopping cart through the grocery store, and when I get outside, I'm still looking at my magazine in the parking lot. I'm walking in the parking lot, and this truck just comes up like, Bleh! and y'all, I thought I was about to lose it. Not lose my anger, but lose my food from both places. It was it was bad, y'all. I'm just I it, fear. It, it took me over. Sometimes when fear hits you, you can't control stuff. You trembling, you shaking, you losing it. And sometimes it 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 is the the magnitude, the power of the thing that scares you. It was the power of the truck. If a, if a little baby kidney had come up and said, Ram, I'd have been like, <laughs> but it was the, the threat of my life before this truck that scared me, and I recognize its power. Some of y'all recognize power, too. We, my, my, my kids or some, you know, they, I, I talk about social media's algorithm and how it throws you stuff, but social media throws you stuff that you happen to like. So I don't know why social media throws me like uh, when people like walk down the street and slip on ice. You know, when like you walk, like people like get scared or something. And for some reason, like maybe because me and my, my kids, we do like like trucks and stuff like that. And uh, um, uh, what's it when you um, trucks do flips inside of a stadium and all types of stuff. And they monster trucks, you know, we like that, you know. And it also throws in there occasional trains, trains that blow through stuff, like people that are not wise enough to heed when the marker says don't cross the tracks or folks that leave farm equipment on the track. But we see the power and magnitude of a train. It is scary to see what that power looks like. This biblical writer is trying to help put us in the front mind frame of what is one of the most powerful forces that you could imagine. What is one of the most powerful things that would lead you to sheer stop in your tracks? Maybe your understanding is that of gravity, and for some reason you might be smart enough not to jump out of a plane without a parachute because you know the strength of gravity and how soft land is if you were to do something like that. Seeing if y'all listening. See, that, 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 that fear of the impact of the power would lead you to pause and stop. And Moses, Moses, a man who stood in the presence of God. Moses, a man who saw a burning bush. Moses, a man who God allowed to do miracles, to turn a staff into a snake and to take his hand out and it looked like leprosy and put it back. Moses, who stood up to the most powerful man in the known world, Pharaoh, Moses, 
who saw miracle after miracle after miracle is now at Mount Sinai and trembling. Trembling. Trembling because God is so strong. God is so powerful. And God says, when my presence descends upon this place, I have a rule. Don't come near. Don't touch it. I am loving and I love you enough for you not to be in the presence of my holiness. Because my holiness will respond to unhealth, will respond to sin. My holiness something that's pure. And so for the protection of the people, God set up a certain perimeter by which people could not come and enter into his presence just at will. And it was scary to see that type of power on display. And so this Hebrew writer is saying, hold up. There was a time, Old Testament, when God's power was so strong, you couldn't get next to him. You couldn't enter into his presence. And it was right to have reverence for this power, but that chasm, that gap between you and God created a distance. Then he goes on. He goes on. Starting in verse 22. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. My uh, my family will tell you that I don't I don't like I don't cook very often. I'm I'm not the chef of the household. I don't I don't cook very often. Don't get me wrong. I admire the skill. I think it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm blessed by it. I give praise when praises are due. If you know Bershawn happened to send another sweet potato pie, I ain't mad. You know, I'm just it, it just I just don't do it myself because something happened to me one time that in my struggling chefness, I got stuff out. I'm working on this craft macaroni and cheese. Don't 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 laugh at me. You know I'm heating up my water. I got I got my powder ready. I know, mm, I know, right? You know. And then I go to the fridge, and we don't have no milk. And see, from that point on, when I cook, my wife's like, "Oh, what you making?" Because when she come in the house, I lay out every ingredient, all the measuring cups. Everything's out before I start because I'm not dope enough to freestyle once I start and be like, oh, we out of something? Well, let me do a little bit of this. I'm lost, and I just throw everything away. And so I lay out all of my ingredients before I start cooking. What's happening here is the biblical writer is laying out the ingredients for worship, the ingredients for intimacy with God, the ingredients to make a wholesome experience in the Lord. And it starts with him saying, you are now going to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. 
Look, fam, Sinai was a place. It was a physical place. It was a, a it had boundaries and God descended upon that place. But that was the only place where they were going to experience God in that way. That was the, the pre-New uh, Covenant experience. That was the pre-Jesus experience. There was not more than one Mount Sinai. That was one place where one people would experience. But now look at God and look at what he's done. I think you might be blind if you might say we don't have a lot of churches in Detroit. Now, we got a church on every six blocks in Detroit. And the cool thing about that is that it is beautifully displayed. New Rising Star is worshiping the Lord right now. Restore Church, Hope Church, Mount Zion Church is worshiping the Lord right now. We are worshiping here, and God is here. But God is also there. See, God is not simply in one place where his, where his presence is. Actually, God now, it can be experienced in multiple places. And get this, also in multiple times. That's why the Hebrew writer is saying there's a whole cloud of witnesses. There is folks that you are correct connecting to in the spiritual realm because now you are going through a spiritual experience. There is a new Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not just a physical place. It is a spiritual reality that we enter into once we accept Jesus. So now I can say to a white man, my brother. Because God has done something that has united us in Christ. Now I can say to a a woman, my sister, because there's a familial impact that happens once Jesus Christ dies for us and we are accepted into his fold. And then we get the nerve to carry around his spirit in us. And so now God is at work all over the place. It's not simply a physical place we got to be at mount sinai now god is doing stuff in all these churches y'all while you on your jobs while you at your home y'all that's worshiping with us at home right now god is doing something in your living room kenimo while you driving don't look at the phone just stay on the road god is doing something and it's beautiful to see god giving us a spiritual heavenly jerusalem We get connected to this great cloud of witnesses. So at first we enter that spiritual realm. Continue to look at that verse with me. The second is you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Thousands upon thousands of angels are with us in joyful assembly. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with joy and and. And it is, a, it is a weird thing. Church is one of the, church is, I'll say, one of the only places where you can walk in and you feel bad and then you can cry, but your crying is actually good. I know it can happen at your home when you enter the presence of the Lord. You could be with friends and the whole nine. But, but church is this, it's this interesting place where you have this spiritual experience where I know I'm jacked up. I know I'm messed up. And I come in here all jacked up and messed up. And God says, come here now. I've been waiting for you. You walk in. You start singing a song that you don't really feel like singing. You don't really feel like worshiping. 
But then you say that song over and over again. And before you know it, your words are ministering to you. Those words written a thousand years ago sometimes are ministering to you today based on the situation that you just went through. And now before you know it, you find yourself crying. Now, why am I crying? I'm crying because for for this moment, this experience, I'm feeling safe. In this moment, I'm feeling understood by God. In this moment, I'm feeling cared for regardless of what I brought to the table. Where he sees all my mess and he's like, yep, come on. Come on, I got you. You see, it is that type of experience that lets you know this ain't, this, this ain't, this ain't man-made. I've been where you are. Sometimes I'm like, did the pastor, hold up. Did he tap into my phone? How he know? I've been there where where it wasn't even the sermon, it wasn't even the song. Y'all, I've gone to the bathroom, and somebody I ain't seen in a minute crossed me at the bathroom and said, you know what? You prayed about this a year ago, and I've been praying for you, and I lose it. Lose it. You see, this is a spiritual experience. We join with the angels celebrating God and allowing joy to be present in our hearts, not because of what we bring, but because of who he is and what he's doing in us. And this writer is saying, you got an old school way. Don't don't look down upon the Old Testament. At least the people of God were being led faithfully by him step by step. There was fear. There was trembling. There was worry that if I even touch this mountain, what's going to happen? But you got a God that's saying, I'll feel you. I'll care for you. I will guide you. I will be your safe place. And I can be that for you wherever you go. Continue with me. We got this. The angels, thousands upon thousands of the angels in a joyful assembly. And we get to be in that joyful assembly. And it says, uh, um, verse 23, and then to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. I love that he, this uh, commentator that I like, he says that in the, in the Bible's culture, the time in which it was written, the firstborn was not necessarily the oldest child. The firstborn referred not to the birth order, but to rank. The firstborn possessed the inheritance and leadership. Therefore, the phrase expresses Christ's sovereignty over all of creation. Said another way, this demonstrates God's authority and his reign, which is unmatched, unparalleled. This is a clear communication that Christ is above all, is all, and all things work through who he is. But our names, our names get to be written in heaven because his name was first written in heaven. Continue with me. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the 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 atoning work of Christ. So this is Christ's manifestation of you and I's ability to experience 
salvation. It is that, that, that changing factor that allows religion to become personal. I've, uh, I've, I've always been a really good swimmer. I've always loved the water. But uh, I, I don't think there's, there's like as much of a check on your needing for salvation as when you get into a situation where you feel like you can't swim. I know some of y'all feel like you need, you know, salvation is most clearly when I got like $2 and the Lord come through with 8 and he knew I needed 10 You know, like, like, like okay, I got you. I got you. That, he working that out too. But let you not be able to get that gulp of air and, and the water just like right here. Let, let you see, man, like, like, like my life right now is weighing in the balance. It, it makes you grateful for someone's hand that just reaches down and grabs you. You see, this illustration is helping us understand that, that, that Jesus is coming to each person personally, doing a work for all that would receive him, but you got to receive him. See, his blood is poured out as an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that allows you and I to experience salvation, but you and I only experience salvation. We only experience that love. We only experience that joyful assembly and praise when we accept the gift. Got to accept the gift. And so we get a chance to be put into this this parallel he's he's trying to show which one do you want you want lays or ruffles you want oreos or chips or you want see y'all like what does pastor talk about Mm -hmm, i had to give you some some comparisons to make sure y'all were staying with me he's saying do you want sinai god in one place fear and trepidation or do you want new covenant Christ's blood shed for you now can be with you wherever and you get to experience the intimacy of who he is in this in a spiritual way where even the angels are joined joining you which one you want and right now the new trusting Christ based on his sprinkling feels to these people very scary It feels very scary because the Hebrews are being beaten. They're being persecuted. And when they are beaten and persecuted, they're tempted to go back because at least with Mount Sinai, we knew he led us and that was familiar. It's familiar. And it is our temptation as well that when you start to experience pain, instead of stepping out into the unknown of what Christ may offer, we're willing to go back into some old, some old comforts, some old patterns. I was, uh, I've, been, I've been trying to get my, my health in check, y'all. I'm not doing the best, but I'm doing way better than I was. I had uh, gone to the, to the dentist. Dentist says, hey, you know, you're about to get this procedure, but I don't know if we can do it, Pastor, because uh, your blood pressure too high. So I'm like, oh, okay, let me just calm down a little bit. It drops. Then it didn't drop far enough. So I was like, let me cut my phone off. Let me just breathe deeply. 
it dropped low enough. So, 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 so the discipline that is taking now for me to eat better is, is it, it takes some real work because I like Twinkies. Twinkies on Twinkies I like. You see, I didn't, I didn't say, uh, Vershawn, if you want to bless me, bring a salad. I mentioned the sweet potato pie. It, 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 take, it takes discipline. It takes, it takes extra effort. And, and I, I'm realizing the, the importance of taking that, that extra step. And, and Lord, help me where I was going. Because when I feel like I'm struggling and when I am at one of my worst, instead of leaning more into Christ, I'm tempted to go eat. I will eat my way out of depression. I will eat my way out of anxiety. I will eat my way out of feeling overwhelmed. For that moment, that sugar rush is all I need, and I love y'all, but I don't need none of y'all. I just need a pack of ding-dongs. I'm good. But see, but see, if we, if we can be honest, you got your thing, too. You got the thing that when you get tempted, you will ignore or say no to Jesus or not, not that you will, because I'm trusting we will walk in the spirit. But you can be tempted to say no to Jesus and go back to that thing that is familiar. That thing that you know well, that thing that can come through and you can depend on in that moment. And even if it doesn't solve the problem, it gives you that quick, that quick rush. You see, the Hebrew people are like, Okay, Jesus is real, we know, but we're going to have to trust him blindly. At least that old school God that was on Mount Sinai, our uncles went through it, our grandfathers went through it. There's a history of him coming through for them, and it's so much worse. It's not that the Old Testament didn't fulfill or didn't, didn't help bring forth folks into understanding the beauty of who God was. It's just the simple message that the Hebrew writer keeps writing, which is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And so, my family, I'm asking you to lay before the altar today. What is the thing that you might be tempted to go back to? What's that comfort that you would use to get you out of a jam, or would you choose Christ? He's waiting for us with open arms saying, that's why my blood was shed. It was shed to free you from sin and free you from that behavior and free you from depending on that. Depend on me and me alone. Because I am enough. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warmed them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At this time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. He's given them the same warning I just gave you. Don't turn away from what Jesus is offering. Turn to him. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. It's final warning. It's don't go back. 
Don't jump back into don't jump back into what's comfortable. Don't let fear turn us back. Don't let comfort turn us back. Two options. Which will you choose? Verse 28. We're going to get ready to go home. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire, a consuming fire. First time I understood what fire was, I was probably about three years old. It is interesting the impact that smell can have on you. Because this, this image has a smell with it that, that just takes me back to being three years old. And it was my grandmother. My grandmother, who loved the Lord and encouraged me in the Lord, my grandmother would, would comb her hair. And my grandmother would smoke cigarettes. So if she wasn't smoking cigarettes, the, em- the ashtray was empty. But if she had just smoked a pack, it was all right there. But there would be a time during each day that she would comb her hair, the ashtray would be empty, she would put all of her hair in the ashtray, and then she would light a match and burn it. And I don't know if I touched it, I don't know, I remember being, you know, rebuked for it, but the thing I remember every day was that aroma, that scent, and me watching her hair consumed by the fire. The fire never left half of the hair out. It always consumed the entire thing. See here, God is trying to say, I have a a kingdom that's coming. I have an agenda that's moving forth. And this agenda is going to transform all things. It is a new covenant. That new covenant has kicked in the door from the point of my death. And you can experience it today. But there's going to be a full experience that is yet to come, and it's going to consume everything. Nothing will be spared, and you should delight in that. You should rejoice in that. You should have joy that your God is moving forth a kingdom agenda that's going to take care of everything, including you, including your heart, including your mind, including your behavior. And so we get a chance to be a part of something that's bigger than us. But God's saying, what you going to choose? Are you going to choose Jesus? Or are you going to quit? Are you going to give up? Pastor, sometimes I don't feel like I have the strength. I don't feel like I have the might for it. I don't feel like I have the determination to keep pushing on. I'm not asking you to have superhuman strength. If you just have eight-watt strength, God could work. Sometimes just nightlight faith is enough to shine bright. Let your light shine in the midst of what God is calling you to. Choose Jesus. Let us pray together, family. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you have done in us. God, you are at work. Lord, we are asking that that it be clear to us when we are tempted to go back to our previous comforts. Sometimes that's you. Sometimes, Lord, you showed up for us in one season of our lives, and you were so faithful and so good. But we're not that babe in Christ anymore. 
Now, Lord, you've stretched us and moved us to a new place in our faith, a new place in dependency, but we still want to stay holding on to the old way that you were working. Let our trust grow as you grow us. And let our willingness to step out on faith be what gets us through persecution. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.